Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, Stranglers. This is Kylie. And I'm Bree. And uh, welcome to your favorite true crime podcast, Perfect Stranglers. <laughs> your favorite your favorite <laughs> your favorite okay so um before we jump into this i'm gonna do this when is this coming out this is coming out on january 27th perfect so i have to give an immediate immediate shout out to this this man and his wife let me tell y'all what happened y'all remember when we were talking about freaking Christmas. You know, we record our episodes like in advance and like we talk about Christmas after it's happened. Welcome to the shit show, guys. So here's what happened. I said that I needed to get Everly, a ghost spider. If you don't know what that is, fucking Google it. Um, A ghost spider action figure, but I couldn't find one in stores. Well, we got a DM from his name is Vaughn. And his wifey, they listen to the podcast. He owns a toy store. The toy store is called Toy Maestro. Toymaestro.net is the website if you want to go check it out. He says it's down right now under the construction for the moment. But he has a toy store. Anyway, long story short, since we got a lot of shit to talk about today, he fucking DM'd me and said, hey, I heard that Everly needed a ghost spider. I have a toy store and uh, I might have one. And I guess he yelled across the apartment to his wifey and said, hey, Kylie needs a ghost spider. I think I have one. And he's sending Everly a toy. And I'm so excited about it because <laughs> it's selfishly kind of for me a little bit, just like a tiny bit. But I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah, it's she's going to be really excited about it. Also, did I tell you guys about FaceTiming a squirrel? No, I don't think so. (laughs) So there's this guy on TikTok who has a pet squirrel named Peanut, Peanut the Squirrel, and Eves is obsessed with squirrels. So if any of you have any squirrels out there as pets, let me know. Could be another thing. Anyway, so um, I DM'd him and he has like millions of followers. And I said, hey, just so you know, like not assuming he's going to see any of this. I was like, my daughter loves you and your squirrel she has a dog toy pet squirrel that named squirrely that she just adores and she like she just loves watching you guys do your thing and he dm'd back and he's like oh my god this made my day i would love to facetime her do you want to set up a facetime and i'll have peanut hold up a little sign that says hi everly it's your friend peanut oh my god i know so um so he DM'd and we're setting up a FaceTime to get that done and um, asked for her name and everything. So I already talked to him. And so Everly's going to FaceTime her hero, Peanut the Squirrel. But here's the thing is Aww. this guy is attractive, you guys. He's very attractive. He clearly works out, has tattoos, beautiful smile. He's just chef's kiss of a man. But he's so nice. <laughs> but here's the thing is um, he's like societally. I think we've talked about this, like societally attractive. Like I recognize the attractiveness, but like, you know what I mean? Also, um, with anyway. side note, there's a whole bunch of snow plows like going past my house. Like one has gone past like every five minutes, I swear. So that's what you hear in the okay. background. Go on. Okay. Attractive squirrel It's guy. winter. 
attractive squirrel guy. Anyway, so he puts um he puts I think treats in his pocket while Peanut the squirrel jumps on his ass and walks around him. So <gasps> Everly ca- keeps saying, "Oh, he's jumping on his booty. I want to see the one where he jumps on his booty." And I'm like, "It's not his is his booty, but he's the squirrel's. That's the quickest way to get the treats." So I'm like, yeah. "Please don't mention his butt when you talk to him." <laughs> Like, just please don't do it. She's my child, so you know damn well she's gonna. <laughs> That's funny. Mm-hmm. That's so cute. Yes, but I was, yeah, I was shocked that he even messaged me. He was so sweet. So, um, yeah, I had that going on in my life. Gonna FaceTime a freaking squirrel. A squirrel and a squirrel dad. And his owner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's going on to your end? What's what's happening over there in good old Wisconsin? Uh, well, it's pretty cold. It's negative one right now. Um, I don't know. Nothing really. I've been, I started this new year, I started to go through everything in my house, like um, Mm. Marie Kondo, organize. Oh, yeah. Get rid Mm -hmm. of things that don't spark joy. So, how's that going? uh, It's, well, you know, have you, have you seen that show? (laughs) I watched a few episodes of it, and quite honestly, it annoyed the shit out of me, but that's okay. Okay, well, she really annoys Manny, really, like, a lot. Like, just yeah. her... I think it's it's for sure, like, a cultural thing. Um, yeah. But um, he's agreed to do it as well. And Oh, I love that for Manny. Yeah, so we he got rid of about five bags of clothes. I got rid of about the same so we got the first step done we're moving on towards papers and books it's it's gonna take a while yeah but that's such a good feeling though it is it's starting to kind of come together we're at the stage where it's gotten worse it's like it gets worse before it gets better kind of thing yeah we're at that stage and that's kind of frustrating because it's like i as i was cleaning my clothes and stuff out I know that papers are next, so I have this whole stack of papers that I've been collecting to put it all in one spot, because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So, it's it's a whole mess. But um, we're working on it, so. Yeah. Th- that's a really good idea to do in the beginning of the year. And then when spring comes around and you get to open up the windows and everything, you get to spring clean and clean everything that you, clean behind everything you moved. Right. Deep clean, oh, get, like, behind the large appliances and stuff like that yes people who don't clean if this offends you i'm so kind of sorry um (laughs) people who don't clean behind their appliances i just don't understand Uh, i don't get it because there's so much dust that gets back there at least like once a year i guess clean it out i don't know yeah like once or twice a year yeah because um, there's, you know, dust that gets back there. And, like, when you're cooking, you don't know it, but grease fucking flies everywhere. Yeah, no matter and, what. and crumbs And then and there's stuff. food. Yeah. Yes, crumbs. The crumbs. If you have pets, sometimes there's little toys and stuff stuck under there. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, good for you, Bree. I feel like that's a really great way to head into the new year. A lot of people put out, like, um, like health, like, fitness and, like, exercise and diet-related 
New Year's resolutions and stuff. And I really feel like more people should do cleaning up their household resolutions and like organizing their life resolutions. Right. I want to do this first before I do anything Mm -hmm. else. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I want to organize like my whole house so that like I don't because I swear like half of the stuff I think about is, oh, my God, this is so messy. I hate looking at it, but also I don't want to clean it. And, like, I swear that, like, half of my thoughts are, like, worrying about, like, the clutter and stuff in my environment. So Mm -hmm. if I get rid of that, then I can more easily focus on, like, you know, fitness and, like, there's nothing else to think about except for, for other, like, you know, improving your physical and mental health, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I like your mind, Brie. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you. Good job. Proud of you, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now I want to go do that. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. It's refreshing. It is. Yeah, for sure. Well, should we get into um, housework before we get into this doozy of a case? Yeah, we should. We should. All right. So are you you got it or me? I just I just went full McConaughey and did. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. I got a lot of lovely ladies up in this house tonight. <laughs> you remember that from Magic Mike? <laughs> no. I've actually on purpose okay. never seen that movie. Really? Well, okay, well, it's said okay. that it sucked I, so much and like I the, the first one the first one sucked. The second one was actually better than the first one. Oh really? Okay. If I ever yeah. decide to watch it, maybe I'll just watch the second one. Yeah. You can do that. I been wa- I binge watched Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy this week while I was <laughs> working. <laughs> mm, I don't know if I can do that either. See that my impression of that I've never seen it, but my impression I've seen like the trailers for it, like when it was you know in the theaters, and mm-hmm. um, my impression of Fifty Shades of Grey is that it's basically Twilight for adults, but not with vampires. But, no, but like that's very much. It's very much not, uh, granted it's based off of Twilight fanfic, but it's very much not that. It's just, when it comes down to it, it is a cheesy, guilty pleasure, romance slash drama movie, movies. However, I'm not even going to get into the the lifestyle part of it. I really feel like you just described Twilight. Uh, there's not like a love there's not like no it's uh, any i feel like any romantic situation could be described as twilight because there has to be a love interest there has to be the person who's falling in love with the person yeah i'm more talking about the cheesiness factor of it oh yeah it's just as cheesy as any other like guilty pleasure movie i would say it's as cheesy as how to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Anything Matthew McConaughey has been in as a love interest, it's just as cheesy. Yeah. yeah. Because we, 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 okay, let's not say we. Manny was watching Twilight, or one of the Twilights. Let's not say we. <laughs> because I was not watching it. Um, It's the one where Bella, like, gets pregnant and has Renesmee. And so, I have no idea. Okay, I've well. I've seen them once when I was very sick. Yeah, well, this, okay, so she has their child and she's like having problems with the delivery or something. And this group of vampires, 
their like dad is a doctor or something so they're at their house and she's like trying to like give birth to this vampire child and then and she can't like it's there's have they're having problems and then they're about to do like a c-section <clears throat> and then like i don't know what happens is edward like bites her stomach open with his like fangs to like get this child out and i'm like what and, no and i and i saw it and i like i asked manny i'm like did that is that did i just is that what happened and he's like yes and i'm like i never want to see this movie ever again <laughs> this is so stupid <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, and then, yeah, so we never got to housekeeping, really. We started already on a tangent. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be tangent city. Um, All right. Anyway, do you want to do housekeeping quick? (laughs) Okay, yeah. Um, I don't have my script, but let me see if I can do it on the fly. All right. So, uh, hey, Stranglers, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) do you want me to do it yeah you should because i don't have my i don't have my script and i'm just like winging it and i'm just like i'm gonna forget something (laughs) okay i'll do it hi guys this is kylie uh tagging in here for brie uh welcome to perfect stranglers if you like what you're hearing please follow us on facebook at perfect stranglers a true crime podcast instagram is at perfect underscore stranglers twitter is at perf stranglers please subscribe to us also on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you like to listen if you're listening on apple podcasts please give us um, a five-star rating and for the love of all that is holy please leave a review because we love to read them and you know what it helps other people who also like true crime paranormal and all things weird see that we have a little podcast here um so that would be very helpful um and then also on spotify you can also give us a five-star rating now and so that would be super fan fucking tastic if you did that um and finally we have an email address i don't know if you're aware but it's contact at perfectstranglers.com Send us all your questions, comments, concerns, requests for episodes, and weird stories at uh, contact at Perfect Stranglers, or drop us a line in the DMs. And that's it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so abrupt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we get into this? Yeah, let's. What are we talking about today? Y'all, we're talking about Ed Kemper. All right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> All right, so this is going to be a two-parter because um, he's a lot, and yeah, that's why. All right. <laughs> that is specifically why. And you know what? We haven't had a two-parter this season, and I feel like it is time to pop in here and, you know, do a good old-fashioned two-parter. So we're yep. going to do it. So let me pull up my notes here, get a little yawn out of the way. I went out last night to um, watch the Packer game. Only one in Michigan, obviously. Only one in a Packer jersey. So many, well, it was like all dudes in the bar. So many guys came up to me and like gave me knocks and be like, hey, go Pack, go. Devontae Adams, nice jersey, Laker style, all the things. And I was like, hey, hey, this is not the usual reaction I get. Yeah. Thank you. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I think it was just because they were playing the 49ers and they're like, well, at least let our division win this one. But we didn't win. Anyway, yeah, that happened last night. Okay, 
circle back, Ed Kemper. So <laughs> Edmund Emil Kemper III was born mm. in Burbank, California on December 18th, uh, 1948. Um, he's a Sagittarius, I believe. And okay. so that already is um, a huge red flag. If you're Fire not sign. Yep. Hey, no. But I'm also a fire sign. Well, so am I. We're both fire signs. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he's the bad one. Okay. So he was the middle child and only son born to Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper and Edmund Emil Kemper Jr. So he Ed was the third. His dad was the second. Grandpappy was the first. Um, so Ed Jr., his dad, was a World War II vet who, after the war, tested nuclear weapons in the Pacific probing grounds um, before returning to California. And he worked as an electrician um, in California. His mom and dad ended up getting a divorce later on when Ed was a child around second grade. So he was raised solely by his mom in his childhood and early teen years. So Ed's mom was an alcoholic who um, many believe suffered from a borderline personality disorder. And Ed's father, Ed Jr., um, the World War II vet, claimed that being in the war was easier than getting along with the mom. Oh. He said, quote... His dad said, quote, suicide missions in wartime and the later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with her. Mm. No, this woman, it, it, this checks out. Okay. Shit. All right. <laughs> this checks out. <laughs> Absolutely does. Um, so even though Kemper and his father were allegedly close during his like early childhood, um, after his dad left, his dad didn't leave. The mom and the sisters left, to be quite honest. Um, they didn't speak to each other until Ed showed up on his doorstep about five years after the divorce. So I'm going to prep before I, before I get into this case, I'm just going to say this is a true crime podcast and we talk about all things that are awful, murder, dismemberment, rape, stalking, all of the things we talk about all of those things, but this is a reminder that you're listening to a true crime podcast because this is one of those cases that is a heavy hitter for a reason. Just throwing it up there before we like really dig into this um but ed weighed 13 pounds as a newborn so he was oh a whole ass he was a whole ass beefcake dude that has to be some kind of record a whole ass beefcake he was a biggin yeah he came out a toddler essentially <laughs> i well, i yeah but I'm, his mom hoping... was his mom was they were all big they're all okay. big people i'm hoping that was a c-section i have no idea i please Please. Did they do C-sections <laughs> back in the 40s? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Okay. Anyway, yeah, he was a big one. He was a head taller than his peers by the age of four. He was extremely intelligent, but he also engaged in psychopathic behavior really early, which we'll discuss in um, a minute here. Ed showed a lot of warning signs of being a serial killer. Uh, when later tested, he had a near genius IQ. Um, but his younger stepbrother, who Ed never actually met, but the stepbrother knew all about Ed and what the family had said and, you know, knew a lot about him. He believes that Ed purposefully missed questions on the IQ test to appear less intelligent than he really is. Um, he told uh, the Daily Mail he faked his IQ tests so it would always come out showing he had an IQ in the upper 40s instead of higher. He's a demented super genius of a sociopath. Which, if you know anything about highly intelligent people, um, I've had to learn this having Everly, they often dumb themselves down and as a kid they revert to baby-like behavior to act 
less intelligent than they are. Mm-hmm. And so I, I fully believe that he likely did dumb himself down for those IQ tests yeah. to appear less intelligent. Um, well, yeah. And so people scary. people expect less of you. Yep. So they won't. They they'll under less of you. Yeah. They'll underestimate you because of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I mean, I get. I get. And I feel like if Ed dumbed himself down, people wouldn't think he was capable of the things he actually did, and gives him right. a little bit of wiggle room to get away with it. Right. It's kind. Of, it's a little bit of manipulation. Yeah. So during Ed's childhood, he was physically and emotionally. Um, mentally abused by his alcoholic mother, Clarnell, who was divorced from the dad in 57. Um, So his mom, his two sisters, and Ed moved to Montana when he was in second grade. Reports don't really show whether or not he behaved normal in his first nine years of life when he was in California with the whole family. But once they moved to Montana without the dad, that seems to be like the catalyst for him turning into an absolute monster. So, I mean, makes sense, though, because a big move like that... Definitely could send a kid who's highly intelligent and sounds like pretty fucking sensitive into a shit spiral. Yep. So Miss Clarnell was a big old lady. She was uh, about six foot and she frequently locked Ed in a dark basement like slash crawl space area alone at night and throughout the entire day. Oh, my God. In fact, there was a whole eight there was a whole eight month stretch at one point where he was locked down there because mom was convinced that he was sexually assaulting his own sisters so there were we're not really sure why she thought that there are no reports from the sisters or from ed saying that he ever tried to do anything with his sisters the mom was the only one it seems to actually like say this or think it so we're not sure if it was her own insecurities her um like borderline personality disorder like ed could have looked at the sisters the wrong way and she could have believed that he was going to be going up to rape his sisters at night. So we're not sure the basis of why she thought that. But yeah, he was basically locked in a crawl space for eight months. And his only escape to get out of it was um, a little like area in the kitchen that was that the kitchen table was on top of to get out. Wow. Yeah. That does not sound uh, pleasant at all. See, she she it checks out. She's not a great woman. How How old was he when this was happening? Uh, he was between the ages of like nine to fourteen. Okay. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> That'll you know you those up. those core memory formative years. Yeah. So Clarnell thought Ed was a quote real weirdo. She was extremely hard on him, making him feel like even more of an outsider and black sheep of the world than he already was. Um, just physically existing because he was different. He was six four by the time he was in middle school. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, he's a he's a big guy. Um, the only light in the crawl space was a bare light bulb hanging from a wire. And the only way he could get out, like I said, was through a trap door underneath the family dinner table. Ed said it was during this time, um, during his days and weeks living in the basement, that he, quote, saw the devil's face for the first time. So a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about is straight from Ed's mouth. Uh-huh. He gave the general gist of everything. He did change his story later on when he would talk to reporters and the police according to the details of what happened. But the overall, like the overarching story remains the same. And he, there is a lot. If you look up Ed Kemper quotes, there's a lot of Ed Kemper quotes out there because he loved to fucking talk, mm-hmm. loved to listen to himself talk, loved talking about himself. Very fucking chatty. So 
a lot of stuff I'm going to tell you about came directly from his mouth of what happened. Um, as a child, he loved to play games. His favorite was called Gas Chamber. And to play this, he would have one of his sisters tie him up and throw, um, and like, push, you know, like, throw an imaginary switch that would, quote, activate the gas. He would then fall on the floor and writhe and, like, wiggle around in agony as he slowly died, pretend he was dying. <laughs> he also began cutting off the heads and arms and legs of his sister's dolls, performing funeral rites on them. Oh, my God. After his arrest, he told Pol- Yeah. Right? Could Holy you imagine shit. this being your kid? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I've popped the heads off of Barbies, but that's a little extreme right oh, for there. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, the funeral rites is where I draw the line. Yeah, for you know? real. <laughs> yeah. So um he after his arrest he told police quote I remember there was actually a sexual thrill. You hear the little pop and pull their heads off and hold them up by their hair, whipping their heads off, their body sitting there. That'd get me off. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So in a later interview That's that's not yeah. my experience with popping Barbie's heads off. I just wanted to like put no. their I just didn't want to change their clothes, so I would just take one head off and put it on a different oh, one. That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> that's smart. That's 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 work smarter, not harder. Right. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in a later interview, Ed shared his thoughts upon seeing a pretty girl stemming off of um, the Barbies. Mm-hmm. He said, one side of me, I'd like to talk to her, date her. The other side says, I wonder how her head would look on a stick. Oh. Mm-hmm. So Ed really liked women. And from a very young age, he tried to get close to them. However, his mom gave him a very, 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 very skewed image of how a woman should act, how a woman should treat a man, um, how a man should act around a woman. Yeah. His first real interaction with a female that he like was attracted to was in second grade after like so immediately when he moved to Montana, basically Um, after he developed a crush on his teacher. Sorry, I got a yawn. So, yeah, he had a crush on his second grade teacher. So instead of, like, leaving it be or talking about it on the playground, Ed began instead stalking her with his father's bayonet in hand. So I don't know if this happened while he was living in California with his dad right before they divorced or if they just so happened to take his dad's bayonet up to Montana. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not sure. Or it's, like, a very thin line of, like, when this happened in the divorce. Right, right, right. So... Ed would take the bayonet with him and go to his teacher's house where he would just watch her through the windows, basically a peeping Tom with a taste for murder at this point. Mm. So one time his sister teased him about the crush, telling him to just kiss her, to which he said, if I kissed her, I'd have to kill her first. Uh, okay. But why? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just TBD on that. Yeah. <laughs> TBD on that. Ed also dabbled in animal cruelty. If you don't want to hear about that, just fast forward here for 30 seconds because I'm going to tell you about animal cruelty, specifically about a cat. So here we go. At the age of 10, uh, some reports say while he was forced to live in that crawl space basement area under the kitchen, they had a family cat. What he decided to do was take that family cat at some point when he escaped out of the the crawl space and he buried the cat alive on a day when he was let out 
After he buried it alive and it eventually died, he dug it up weeks later and decapitated it. He then put that cat's head on a stick. Remember I just said he would wonder how that woman's head would look on a stick? Yeah. Yeah. So he said that when he killed that family cat, placing its head on what he called an altar, the stick, he had felt empowered after um, lying about it. So he loved the thrill of lying about it and knowing that he did it. And three years later, when he was 13, he killed another family cat with a machete after believing that it preferred his younger sister. So, like, his ego was knocked down by the cat not wanting to go near him, which cats know you're a fucking weirdo, Ed. He then uh, stuffed the remains of the cat after he dismembered it, chopped her up, um, in the closet, and his mom found those remains a few days to possibly a few weeks later. Ew. Mm -hmm. The smell? The smell alone, you know? It's the smell for me. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Wow. So as Poor you cats. can tell, Ed had Ed had some issues. So we're going to talk about what those issues mean and how they can predict serial killers. It's called the McDonald Triad. Mm-hmm. Um, so the McDonald Triad, triad, also known as the Triad of Sociopathy or the Homicidal Triad, is a set of three factors. The presence of any two of these are considered to be predictive of or associated with Violent tendencies, particularly serial offenses, a.k.a. serial killers. Um, This triad was formulated by a psychiatrist by the name of J.M. McDonald in The Threat to Kill, which was a 1963 article in the American Journal of Psychiatry. So this McDonald triad goes along with the book Mindhunter, which we'll talk about in episode two of this two-parter, and how the formulation of what a serial killer is, what they want to do, what they get off of, all of those things. This is all predict. This all of the things can predict a possible serial killer. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be one. And like this whole concept of the a potential serial killer. Yeah. And this whole concept of the McDonald Triad has been called a literal called a literal um urban urban myth. Uh, what is it? Urban legend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. An urban legend saying that it has no basis. I disagree with that. I also disagree with that. (laughs) So we're going to talk about it. So the triad links cruelty to animals, obsession with fire setting, a.k.a. arson, and persistent bedwetting past a certain age to violent behaviors, particularly homicidal behaviors, um, sexually predatory behavior. Um, other studies claim that there have not been found any statistically significant links between the triad and violent offenders. But there's two different ways you can look at this. So again, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, Wait, what did you say they were? Additional studies... I thought, Uh, was one of them a head injury? No. So head injury actually isn't involved in this. Okay. The frontal lobe injury isn't involved, which I, that is like an additional one. And I feel like that would be, I was going to talk about that in the Richard Ramirez episode that I want to do because he had a monster of a frontal lobe injury. Yeah. From being hit with a swing or something like that. Yeah. So I'm going to save the frontal lobe talk for when we do that one. Okay. Um, But yes. Uh, where was I? Okay. So additional studies suggest that these behaviors are actually more linked to the childhood experiences of, of parental neglect, brutality, or abuse. Uh-huh. And those argue that those experiences result in homicidal proneness. Um, according to a researcher um, by the last name of Douglas, him and his fellow researchers um, said that those top three beha- those three behaviors are simply predictive of an increased likelihood in future behavior patterns and give professionals the chance to halt some patterns before they progress. So, regardless of why they are doing bedwetting, 
fire setting, and cruelty to animals, whether the child is born predisposed to doing them or childhood experiences are kind of causing, for lack of a better term, causing those behaviors, they are said to be a predictor of violent tendencies. So that's where like the discrepancy comes in is if someone's just doing these things, they're going to be a serial killer or did something happen in their childhood that is causing the kids to do these things to ease some of that anger and then that is a predictor of of being a serial killer. So either way, if they're doing these things, at least two of them, no matter how it comes about, I think it's a good predictor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Okay. So <clears throat> arson or fire setting is theorized to be the first step in releasing aggression. Extensive periods of humiliation were found to be present in the childhoods of several adult serial killers. These repetitive episodes of humiliation can lead lead to feelings of frustration or anger. It's thought that those feelings need to be released in order to return to like some semblance of being normal and having some self-worth back to the kid. However, the triad combination has been questioned in this regard because of um because of this questioning, a review suggested that the behavior is just one that can occur in the context of childhood antisocial behavior isn't necessarily predictive of later violence. Um, and as we know from like previous episode, I think it's Jody Arias, maybe one in 300 men have some form of antisocial behavior disorder and they all ain't running around starting fires and killing people. Mm-hmm. So there's that, I guess. Also, that's a scary statistic, but. Anyway, so animal cruelty. FBI Special Agent Alan Brantley believed that some offenders killed animals as a rehearsal for killing their um, humans later in life. Yeah. So cruelty in animals is mainly used to vent frustration. Same with um, arson. And um, the same with arson again. Extensive amount of humiliation were also found in the childhoods of children who engaged in acts of cruelty to animals. So the theory with this is that during childhood, serial killers could not retaliate towards those who caused them humiliation and harm, so they chose these animals to harm instead because they were viewed as weak and vulnerable, just as the people who are harming them view those kids as weak and vulnerable. Yeah. So future victim selection is already in the process at a young age during this kind of hunting process of finding those animals. Mm -hmm. And studies have found that those who engaged in childhood acts of cruelty to animals use the same method of killing on their human victims as they did on their animal victims. So the overall payoff serial killers received through violence to animals was it allowed them to vent their frustrations because the person causing them anger or humiliation was too powerful to take down. They felt as if they regained some, again, some sort of control or power over their lives through the torture of and killing of these animals. They gained the power and the control they needed to cause pain and suffering um, of a weaker, more vulnerable animal, escalating this to humans in the future. So they like power. So finally, we have bedwetting. It's called enuresis is the technical term. Okay. And it is defined as unintentional bedwetting during sleep, persistent after the age of five. The bedwetting must continue twice a week for at least three consecutive months. Mm. So some professionals question whether bedwetting is even related to arson or animal cruelty. However, the likely link is that persistent bedwetting beyond the age of five can be humiliating for a child, especially if he or she is belittled by a parent figure or another adult or even 
by like a sibling or a friend. Uh-huh. So as a result of this humiliation, especially by a person of power that they're supposed to be able to trust, the child could use arson or animal cruelty as an outlet for these frustrations. So bedwetting into like the tween and teen years has also been used as an indicator of possible childhood sexual abuse. Um, bedwetting, fire setting, cruelty to animals are more likely indicators of sustained physical and emotional abuse towards the child or underlying mental illness that will in turn cause the behaviors of being a serial killer or a violent offender. So my thought is overall a childhood filled with abuse, whether physical, mental, or emotional, can cause those three behaviors which will in turn link them to aggressive predatory and serial offenses in the future Mm -hmm. does that all make sense yeah okay so yeah frontal lobe injuries are also to be taken into account here but like i said that is something that we can discuss with someone who i don't think i didn't read anywhere or hear anywhere or watch anything that said kemper had a frontal lobe injury so i was just going to save that for someone who has Mm -hmm. like good old richie ramirez all right so back to edward So not surprisingly, Ed grew up to hate his mom. By the age of 14, uh, he ran away from home in search of his father in Van Van Nuys, California. So at this age, by the way, like I said, he was 6'4", so he was an absolute beast. He was a thick boy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He was was a big big guy. guy. So Kemper, yeah, what'd you say? A big guy. He's a big guy. His nickname was Big Ed later in in life. Okay. Yep. Big Ed, (laughs) yeah. So Kemper. Big Ed, like yep. ninety day Very fiance. Original. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh yeah, that's the guy with. the Is neck. that the guy with yes. the, the neck with no neck? Oh my god, yeah. his name is Big Ed. Yeah. Ew. Hate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Gross. So Kemper discovered that his father had remarried and adopted a stepson who was roughly the same age as him. So um, Kemper lived with his father and stepmom for a little while once he like left his mom and went down to California when he was fourteen. However, he says he was kicked out because he gave his stepmom migraines, but his half-brother claims it was actually because he just gave her the fucking creeps. Kemper allegedly came to the house one day and began to follow his stepmom around while she shut the drapes and blinds behind her, claiming that it was too bright. So he would just like, it sounds like he would just like creep around this woman and creep her out. And yeah. That does sound creepy Could you imagine a domineering six foot... A domineering six foot four, highly intelligent teenager just following you around the house. No, no, no. thank you. Nope. Yeah, <clears throat> we're gonna pass on that. So after he was kicked out of his dad's house, he was sent to live with his paternal grandma and grandpa in North Fork, California. Ed claims that his grandma was very similar to his mom. She was very abusive, and he regarded her in the same way that he saw his mom. He said in a 1991 interview, they were both aggressive, matriarchal women, and they'd been daughters of matriarchal women. So he just didn't like women. Granted, these women were not kind, Mm -hmm. but it, it fucked with him. He has mommy issues. So on August 27th of 1964, at the age of 15, Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandma, Maud. Uh, Maud Hilda Huey Kemper was her name, and they ended up having an argument. So Ed was just enraged at this point. He stormed out and grabbed a rifle that his grandma or that his grandpa had given him for hunting. The rifle previously had been confiscated because he was using it to shoot animals needlessly. So... Ed then re-entered the kitchen and um, fatally shot his grandma in the head before firing twice more into her back. His grandma's last words were, 
according to him, quote, oh, you'd better not be shooting those birds again. And then he shot her in the head from behind. At how old was he? 15. He killed his grandmother when he was 15 years old? Yeah. That's what you're telling me right now. Holy shit. I didn't. Oh, my God. That what? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I, don't, yeah, I barely sure know did. anything about Ed Kemper. Oh, this is, oh, girl, this is going to be a wild ride for you. Okay, so um, some accounts mention that she also suffered mul- multiple postmortem stab wounds with a kitchen knife, but those reports are, like, here and there. It's not, like, solidified, but I'm just going to say it because I feel like it could be true. Yeah. When uh, Kemper's grandpa, Edmund Emil Kemper Sr., returned home from the grocery store, uh, Kemper went outside and shot him in the driveway next to his car outside. Oh, um, Ed was unsure of what really to do next, so he called his mom, who told him to call the local police. So Kemper called the police and waited to be taken into custody. So after his arrest, Kemper was asked why he did it. And he said, quote, just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma. And um, he later testified that he killed his grandpa so that he would not have to find out that his wife was dead. So he claimed it was like a mercy killing, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And he said that his grandpa would have been angry with Kemper for what he'd done. Well, no fucking shit. Wow. So psychiatrist Donald Lund, who interviewed Kemper during his adulthood, wrote... Um, In his way, he had avenged the rejection of both his father and his mother by killing his grandparents. So Kemper's crimes were deemed incomprehensible for a 15-year-old to commit, and court psychiatrists diagnosed him as a paranoid schizophrenic, sent him to Atasca... I have a hard time. Atascadero State Hospital, a maximum security facility that housed uh, mentally ill um, convicts. Did he, like, so, n- not realize that, like, because when he said, uh, um, like, that he just wanted to see what it felt like to kill his grandma, like, did he, like, not realize that this was a permanent thing he was doing or, like? Oh, he, he fully realized it. Okay. Yeah. He fully, he fully knew that grandma's gone. Wow. And he just, that, that urge that he had to kill grandma after an argument was... Out of rage and curiosity, I guess. <clears throat> okay. So um, at Atascadero, California uh, youth authority psychiatrists and social workers disagreed with the court psychiatrist diagnosis. Their report stated that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. So basically at the hospital, they said, no, he knew what he was doing. He's just kind of messed up. Yeah. Like, he doesn't necessarily have a personality disorder that is interfering with his mental thinking, with his thinking to think straight. So they also observed him to be incredibly intelligent and, and, and quote, introspective. Um, initial testing there measured his IQ at 136, which is like two standard deviations above average. He was re-diagnosed with a less severe condition after that. Um, So he was officially diagnosed with a personality trait disturbance and a passive aggressive type. So later on at this time at Atascadero, Kemper was given another IQ test, which ranked him at 145, which we still think he was Mm lowballing it. So Kemper was throughout this entire thing. I'm going to tell you right now, anywhere Kemper went regarding out in public in any type of facility he was incredibly liked 
people loved him. He was a very kind guy until he was a killer, mm-hmm. which we see that a lot in serial killers. They're able to like switch those personalities yeah. back and forth. So he got along well and was a favorite at the hospital. His psychiatrist really enjoyed working with him. He was a model prisoner. He was actually trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. Oh. One of his psychi- one of his psychiatrists later said he was a very good worker, and this is not typical of a sociopath. He really took pride in his work. Um, Kemper also became a member of the JCs while at ta- at um, Atascadero and said he later developed, quote, some new tests and some new scales of the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory, which I think is just like a test used to um, test someone's uh, mental capacity and see if they're like psychotic or Uh not. Um, Specifically, he created an overt hostility scale to see how hostile someone is during his work work with the psychiatrists. After his second arrest, later on, his psychiatrists um, admitted that he learned a lot from the sex offenders who he administered tests for. For example, they told him to avoid leaving witnesses. It's best to kill a woman after raping her. So he kind of got a lot of benefits out of this. He, one, was seen as a model prisoner and that a lot of times deemed him to be like reformed. Mm Mm-hmm. But he also learned the tips and tricks from that got other prisoners caught so that he wouldn't get caught in the future. Yeah. So there was definitely a mutual benefit happening. Yeah. Here. They just didn't know of his benefit quite right. yet. Right. Ed was diagnosed with par- paranoid schizophrenia um, and sent to the actual state hospital where doctors discovered no signs of mental illness at all, just a really high IQ. So throughout this whole thing, they're like, are you really smart or do you have a mental illness? Like it's clearly, you can clearly think straight and we're trying to decide if you're trying to dupe us or you're just highly freaking intelligent or not, which is like a battle he'll have his entire life with psychiatrists. So um, yeah, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and sent to the state hospital And then in 1969, on his 21st birthday, he was released from the hospital back into his mom's care against the recommendation of literally every professional in that hospital. He talked about his mom. He told them how bad she was. And they still released this 21-year-old fresh out from killing his grandparents man into the care of his mom. How stupid could you be? Yeah. He's going to regress. So his ju... Yeah. Yep. Um... His juvenile records were wiped as he reached legal adulthood as well due to him demonstrating behavior that deemed him, quote, rehabilitated. So the last report from his probation psychiatrist read, if I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illness. It is my opinion that he had made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or any member of society. And since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his own potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expansion of his juvenile records. Well... I hope that that psychiatrist has regrets. <laughs> I bet they do. I really do. So we have full ass whole, we have a whole ass adult here standing at six foot nine, 300 pounds. 
was his full physical being. Mm-hmm. Do you understand how tall that is? Oh, yeah. Like Shaq height. <laughs> how tall is Shaq is seven one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is a huge human being. Yeah. Huge human being. Okay, so Kemper attended, um, after he got out, got out, he attended a local college per his parole requirements in hopes of becoming a state trooper. However, he was found to be too tall for the job. The cutoff was 6'8". Too tall? <laughs> yeah. So, um, what? this is where he also got... Like, yeah. too tall? This is also where he got the... Why, why? To why? be a state trooper. For the car? I think it, for I the... think it has... I think the car and possibly the motorcycle. Oh. Okay. You're just too big to work the stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Huh. I mean, it makes it weird, but it makes sense. Could you imagine seeing him on a motorcycle? <laughs> imagine seeing Shaquille O'Neal on a motorcycle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're going to look like you're riding a a, a, a child's right. toy. Right. No, I mean, I think Shaq probably does have a motorcycle, but it's probably custom made for him. Oh, absolutely. It's like a gigantic probably, chopper yeah. or something. The chopper. Yeah, but that's the wrong type of chopper. But anyway. Um, (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) get in the chopper. So, Kemper maintained relationships with the Santa Cruz police officers despite his rejection to join the force, and he became a self-described friendly nuisance to them. He would often go to a bar called the Jury Room, which is a really popular hangout for law enforcement officers. Mm -hmm. So, he would go there a lot and just talk to all his buddies, all his cop buddies, because he wanted to be like them. Yeah. You know, Um, I think we've talked about this. he also could get intel. I think that too. I think we've talked about this before, about lots of... Serial killers want to be and also pretend to be uh, in the police force. Yeah. Um, they want to gain control over mm-hmm. other people and have authority. And uh, I yeah, think absolutely. sometimes a few of them slip through. Yeah, just a, a few, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Anywho. So... Um... <laughs> He took on regular, just like menial jobs, but he eventually uh, got a role at the highway department, which allowed him to learn more about the secluded areas and woodlands and deserted roads that were ideal for murder and rape. So this was in California. So um, Santa Cruz, California, that area, there are a lot of uh, national parks and stuff where it's just completely secluded. So, um, yeah. So during this time, his relationship with his mom remained very volatile as well. Because he was released to his mom in Montana, but then he went back to school to be a state trooper and stuff in California. Um, they, his mom, him and his mom had two, or had really frequent arguments um, that their neighbors often overheard when he was back up in Montana. Kemper later described the arguments that he had with his mother around the time, um, saying, he said, this is what he said, my mother and I started right in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I have never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go fists with a man, or I. it would go to fists with a man, but this was my mother and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and... I would do these things. Um, she insisted on it and just over stupid things. I remember one roof raiser was over whether I should have my teeth cleaned. So he wanted to hit his mom, but he never did. And later on, we'll see him um, murder someone and he'll say, I killed her, but I didn't hit her. Oh. So I guess that was like drawing the line for yeah. him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is odd. Mm-hmm. 
So when he, um, after he had saved enough money, Kemper moved out to live with a friend in Alameda, California. There, he still complained of being unable to get away from his mom because she regularly called him and um, paid him unsurprised or paid him surprise visits in person. Um, Ed also had a lot of financial difficulties, which resulted in him frequently returning to his mom's apartment. Um, and so eventually his mom moved south to California. So at this point, mom was, he was released to his mom. They had arguments. He was going back and forth. He got a job at the highway department. His mom later moved down to California. I don't know if his sisters were full grown yet or not. So now his mom and himself both live in California in the same area. So, um, at Santa Cruz beach, Kemper met a student from Turlock high school with whom he became engaged to in March of 73. Yes. He was in his early twenties at this point. Hmm. The engagement was broken off after Kemper's second arrest and his fiance's parents requested her name not be revealed to the public. So his second arrest is going to be, I believe after we talk about all of the things that he did. So this was the same year that he started working for the highway department. Um, But at this time, while working for the highway department, he was hit by a car while riding a motorcycle that he had recently purchased. So he was like, I can't fit on a state trooper motorcycle. I'm going to get my own. And uh, his arm was really badly injured in the crash. He received a $15,000 settlement, which is about $100,000 nowadays, um, in the civil suit. And he uh, he filed against the driver. He was driving around at this point in a 1969 Ford Galaxy that he bought with part of his settlement money, and he noticed at this point a large number of young women hitchhiking as he um, was working and being able to be kind of free on his own and driving around in his new car. So at this point, he began storing plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his car. He began picking up young women at this point and peacefully letting them go on and off, on and off. And according to Kemper, he picked up around 150 hitchhikers at this point, safely just picking them up and letting them go. No, nothing creepy. He was probably a creepy person. Uh He didn't do anything to them. Just picking them up and taking them where they needed to go. Learning the lay of the land. Yeah. At this point. Um, He picked up about 150 hitchhikers before he felt homicidal sexual urges, which he called his, quote, little zapples before he began acting on them little zapples he called his sexual urges little zapples okay so he picked up 150 women got these little zapples and then he began acting on those urges and that's where we're gonna leave this episode for today okay um if i was hitchhiking i wouldn't but if i was first off first first things first um i don't think i think i would take i think i would keep walking i think i would pass on that one because i don't think i'm getting in a car with uh a huge guy no no i'm not getting in a car with a guy let alone a huge guy right right Right. but like him especially yeah 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 Yeah. and like he wasn't a bad-looking guy either he really wasn't like we have seen some rough looking serial killers. Yeah. He is not. He was attractive. Not like he was like, damn, look at Ed. But you know <laughs> what I mean? He was he was attractive. <laughs> I don't know. He he was yeah, he was a young, tall. He he wasn't fat by any means. Like he was a very tall, looked like to be very strong, like attractive 
young man. Mm-hmm. So I could see why it would have been easy for him to get pretty women. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we will do part two next week where we get into all of the crimes and all of the things of Ed. Um, yeah. That's all I got for you today. Cool. I'm excited for this exciting conclusion next week. To Edmund Kemper. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening so much. And please tune in next uh, next Thursday where we talk about all of the things that he did. And it's going to be a really horrific uh, kind of gruesome episode. And I'm kind of excited about it. Cool. So um, that says a lot about my mental space. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> Uh, it's just very interesting. What he does is very interesting. Like how his brain works, I think is my fascination kind of with Ed Kemper because uh-huh. he's so interesting of a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So tune in next Thursday where we conclude this two-parter and we will talk to you then. All right. Bye everyone.